Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Very excited to announce the newest podcast to the Ringer Podcast Network family. It's Against All Odds with Cousin Sal. So this pod is gambling, 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 and more gambling. Yes, I have a gambling problem, and yeah. I want to share it with you. I want to yeah. make it your problem. And it's not just football. NHL playoffs, uh, NBA playoffs, baseball, horse racing, there's boxing, UFC. When we hit- SummerSlam. Oh, all the wrestling. When we hit July, we have a, a hot dog eating contest for Nathan's. And some surprise celebrity guests. Yeah. All right. It's Against All Odds with Cousin Sal. Subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcast. And we're thinking about once a week, right? Yeah, let's do it. Welcome to the Ringer MLB show. My name is Michael Bauman. I'm a staff writer at TheRinger.com. Joined as always by a fellow staff writer at TheRinger.com, Ben Lindbergh. How you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you? All right. I have written a lot of things today, so... Yes, yes, you have. (laughs) Do you realize that we haven't talked to a reliever in almost three weeks? I don't even know who we are anymore. What is the mission of this show if we're not talking to relievers? Honestly, I just assume that that we're always talking to relievers. It's at the point where I don't notice it. (laughs) Well, we are talking talking to one today. We're going to break that streak. Earlier this year, we talked to Dr. Jeffrey Dugas, who is a surgeon who has been one of the pioneers of the primary repair elbow surgery, which is an alternative to Tommy John, a faster alternative. Guys can get back in about half the time it takes them to return from Tommy John. So we talked to him at the time. Today, we're talking to Seth Manus, who actually underwent that surgery. Former Cardinals reliever just made it back to the big leagues with the Royals less than nine months after he had the surgery, so could be a trailblazer. Going to talk to him about that. Also going to talk to someone who was a trailblazer, although he didn't blaze that trail quite as far as he would have liked, but MLB runs this game called Beat the Streak. It's in its 17th season, and it's a simple game. It's basically you pick a player every day, and if they get a hit, you extend your streak. If you get to 57 games, you win $5.6 million. You can also pick two players and advance by two games games in one day if they both get hits. Anyway, no one has ever gotten the $5.6 million. No one has gotten all that close to it. But our second guest today, Robert Mosley, got closer than anyone else. He got to 51 games, which is uh, a record. And so he is both happy to have done that and sad that he got so close. And yeah, I was sad for him by the end of the <laughs> by the end of that interview. Yes, it's it gets a little uh, poignant at times. But before that, we're going to talk about some of the best players in baseball, right? Yeah, you you pitch this to me as the three best players in baseball, which I'm sure <laughs> like I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, but my controversial. First, yeah, my first song. This is going to piss somebody off somewhere. Yeah, well, probably our our editor, Mallory Rubin, who would like Manny Machado to be one of those three, I'm sure. Well, let let me tell you about an article pitch I had rejected today. I wanted to find (laughs) the most average player in baseball through Uh however many weeks it is. So I was looking for somebody with league average strikeout rate and offense production and OBP slugging, Mm -hmm. all that stuff. And uh, Manny Machado is pretty close to average. Oh, you should not have led with that. (laughs) Well, she doesn't listen to this podcast anyway. (laughs) But I landed on Neil Walker, which like... Pretty average. uh, He's extremely average. He's exceptional for how average he is. (laughs) Yeah. So this week I got to write about probably not too controversial to call them the two best players in baseball, best hitter and best pitcher, at least, because a lot of weeks we write about some obscure guy. We want to be hipsters and notice some cool player before everyone else notices them. Or you notice someone who came out of nowhere and is suddenly good. The Aaron Judge's 
or the Eric Thameses of the world. But this week, I just got to write about Mike Trout and Clayton Kershaw, and I want to talk about them, just a state of the baseball Mount Rushmore. At least two of the, the faces on that right now would be those Number two guys. Number four would be Brandon Geyer. Yes. Right? Well, we've already talked to him. So, But those two guys and Bryce Harper, as we speak, Trout and Harper have been the best hitters in baseball, the best players, period, in baseball. Kershaw, of course, is the best pitcher in baseball, although maybe didn't get off to the best start in baseball. And we'll we'll talk about that. So maybe I'll start with Kershaw, because the thing is that we all kind of gloss over the details of these guys' seasons because we know, oh, he's the best. He's Bryce Harper, Mike Trout. You don't necessarily dig into what minute changes they've made because they started out as the best players and they're still the best players. But a lot of the time under the hood, these guys are making little interesting developments and making themselves even better. And so the thing I wrote about Kershaw, which really fascinated me, of course, Kershaw's slider is probably his filthiest pitch, might be the the best breaking pitch in baseball over the last few years. And it hasn't been so good since he got back from the DL last year. For whatever reason, seems like it could have been injury related. Maybe he got into some bad habits. He started throwing his slider a lot harder when he got off the DL and it didn't sink as much. And the two things that predict how many whiffs a slider is going to get are the separation in speed from the fastball and how much movement, how much sink it gets. And he was doing a lot worse in both of those respects. And you could see him getting visibly frustrated on the mound. He didn't seem to have command of the slider. And he was still great because he's Clayton Kershaw. And if you make his best pitch a a merely okay pitch, he's still going to be great. He's still got the command and he's still got the plus curveball. Right. He's he's got an embarrassment of riches, of course. So he was still excellent, but he wasn't missing as many bats. He wasn't off to quite as great a start. But something happened in his start a week ago, his start last Friday. He started off the same way for the first four innings. He was throwing those hard sliders that were staying up or in the fourth inning, he threw three in a row that just weren't anywhere near the strike zone. It was like low, lower and lowest. And you could tell he was frustrated. Then he comes out for the fifth, and I don't know what happened between the fourth and the fifth, but suddenly he threw the slowest sliders he had thrown since he got back from the DL. And for some reason, he just fixed his sliders seemingly all of a sudden. And in the last three innings of that game, which I I wrote about on Monday, it seemed like he had his old slider back, but it was only like 12 sliders. So I wasn't sure if I could trust that. But then he comes out on Wednesday and he three hits the Giants over seven innings, which admittedly not the greatest accomplishment against the Giants this year. But still, he got, I think, four of his five strikeouts on sliders. He was throwing the slow one again. It was moving again. He was putting it where he wanted to again. So... This isn't necessarily a case of Kershaw getting better, because I don't know if it's possible to be better than he was before the injury last year. But it's the kind of thing that if you zoom out, you might not even notice there was something amiss. He's Clayton Kershaw. He's been really good. But if you zoom in, you can see that little things aren't working so well, and then they start working again. So I don't know how you fix a problem pitch mid-inning, but he did it somehow. And now it seems like he's fully back to being Pete Kershaw again, which is fun for everyone. Yeah, my favorite thing about this is he gave up four runs in six innings in his second start of the season, and uh, his ERA went up to 3.46, and since then, at no point has it been above three, Uh so... 
I'm impressed that you even noticed that all of this was going on because like he's just been pretty much as good as ever, even without his best slider. Yeah, you could see it in the quotes. Dave Roberts would say after games, he didn't have his best stuff or his slider wasn't working so well and he wasn't getting as many strikeouts. But yeah, he was still Clayton Kershaw, still really good. But you just started to wonder, was it something to do with the injury? Was he fully recovered? Whatever it was, just based on his last 10 innings or so, it seems like he has all of his weapons working again. And that is great because he's trying to extend his streak of eight consecutive seasons of lowering his career ERA. And to do that, I think he needs better than 2.37. He's set a very low bar for himself by being amazing for several seasons in a row. So I'm more bullish now that he seems to be at the peak of his powers again. Yeah, he, he really, his age 20 season where he had a 98 ERA plus, like he really gave himself a head start to (laughs) set up for the rest of his career. I know, right? So I also wrote about Mike Trout, who has been probably the best player in baseball. Again, huge surprise, I know. But the thing is that he is legitimately better, at least offensively, I think, than he ever has been before. And it's not just the raw stats, which it is. His raw stats are better. He's on pace for more home runs than ever. He's walking a lot. He's striking out less than ever before. He's still stealing bases. He's doing everything. But he has now developed better plate discipline than he ever had before. And if you look back, you know, some of his peak seasons, like in 2012, maybe his best all around season, not his best offensive season. Like there were a lot of guys who had better plate discipline stats, you know, swung more often at pitches inside the strike zone, laid off pitches outside the strike zone. Now there are only a handful of guys who do those things better than he does. He is swinging at pitches inside the strike zone much more often than he ever has before. He's swinging at pitches outside the strike zone less often than he ever has before. So his plate discipline has improved. And when you start off with the raw skills that Mike Trout has and you add almost best in baseball plate discipline to that too, I mean, now he is just not making any mistakes. He's just gotten much more aggressive. Like it used to be that he would take more first pitches than almost anyone in the league. And now he doesn't do that anymore. He's He swings at first pitches almost at a league average rate. It used to be that he would never swing at a first pitch curveball. So if you had a good curveball, you could just kind of flip one in there and he'd take it for a strike. Now he swings at those two. So his whole career has been a story of just unparalleled excellence, of course. But within each season, he keeps making these tweaks to make himself less predictable, less exploitable. And I think he's better now than he ever has been. Yeah. And I think his adjustment and the one that we're going to talk about uh, with Bryce Harper, the Travis Sawchick at Fangraphs wrote about, they're interesting to look at together. And particularly because we talk about plate discipline and that's one of those baseball terms. It means different things depending on the context Mm -hmm. because we think about plate discipline. You know, the first thing I think about is walks and Trout's always walked a lot after that selectivity. And he's always been a selective hitter. And the way that you're talking about it here is just like the way that it probably fits the textbook definition of plate discipline, which is telling a ball from a strike. And he's doing that better now than ever, but he's doing it by being more aggressive, which we don't necessarily necessarily think of as a plate discipline trait. You know, mm-hmm. we think of aggressiveness, we think of somebody like Vlad Guerrero going outside the zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of hitting coaches will call it selective aggression, just being aggressive on the pitches that you should be aggressive on because you can hit them. That sounds like military jargon. <laughs> yeah, it like it does. sounds like something the Reagan era Pentagon would have <laughs> come up with. Yes, but it's working incredibly well. And it's great because it's not an uncommon thing for a player in his 
early to mid 20s, which still describes Mike Trout, to make plate discipline improvements. That's almost the standard thing. But when you debut and you're almost immediately the best player in baseball and you have the best age 20 season of anyone ever, it's not totally clear whether you'll follow the same aging curve that the the typical hitter does. And if you look at phenoms guys who come up in an early age and and produce they do seem to age more or less like everyone else except even more gracefully they they decline later and more gradually but mike trout is just such an outlier that who knows if he was going to get better or whether he was so great because he just got all his maturation out of the way early looks like it's the former he was already the best player and he just keeps getting better year after year at least in certain ways and so that takes us to harper who of course had the incredible year in 2015 then had the down year last year for mysterious probably injury related reasons he's back to full strength full health and has been even better than he was in 2015 and as you alluded to Travis Sachik at Fangraphs wrote something about him and he's made sort of similar changes to Trout more subtle I would say he sort of zeroed in on down he's concentrated his swings in a in a more narrow area and he has eliminated a, a hole he had in 2015 down and in which is sort of unusual at least going by where you think the typical lefty can hit well but he didn't really produce all that much power there so now he is and he's just a machine like in 2015 that was such a fun breakout because he just got better at everything almost simultaneously and when he gets good it's different than trout like trout trout is a hitter is sort of subtle like you Mm -hmm. sort of have to watch him think through yeah but harper's just so in your face as a hitter like the the swing is so loose and so violent and like the the most impressive thing is just these incredibly long pull home runs right he has now struck out and walked exactly the same number of times that's pretty impressive not a lot of guys do that in 2017 and yet he is still produced i just did this for an article on freddie freeman Uh 19 times since barry bonds retired has a hitter with an isolated power of 200 or better right struck out as many or fewer times as he's walked in a full season yeah right it's it's one thing if you're a slap hitter and it's another if you're hitting moonshots like harper does so It's great to see him. I know that everyone's having the Trout or Harper debate again. That's a debate that we've had for years. Hopefully we will continue to have for years, but we don't really have to choose between them is the nice thing. We get to watch both of them all the time and they're both amazing. I think Trout is the most amazing of all probably, but I just wanted to do a little deep dive on these three because as much attention as we lavish on the new guys who are doing interesting things, I mean, not that these are old guys, these are all pretty young players, but they've been so good for so long that there's a tendency to, if not take them for granted, at least not dive into the minutiae because we know that the broad strokes are so great. So that's the the state of, I would say, the three best players in baseball. And if you want to argue about that, you can add us. Not, yeah, no, you can not add us. <laughs> I welcome your ads. So we will take a very quick break and we'll be back with Seth Manis. And after that, Robert Mosley. And this is Seth Manis. Chevy call to the bullpen and we are watching baseball medical history tonight with Seth Manis. Two balls and one strike on Chris Davis. Seth Manis has or had a torn 
ulnar collateral ligament. That's the ligament that when it tears requires Tommy John surgery. Well Seth Manus is trying to come back from a torn ulnar collateral ligament by having it repaired. Not replaced. Not replaced. All right, so we are joined now by Kansas City Royals reliever Seth Manis, who made his return to the big leagues last weekend, less than nine months after his surgery. And Seth, thanks for coming on. Congrats on making it back to the big leagues. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So can you first describe to us how you knew that something was wrong last season? Were you feeling pain or were you just not as effective and, and knew that something was off, even if you couldn't pinpoint exactly what? I guess it was uh, starting spring training last year. I was having some you know, elbow discomfort and I knew the area I was having it in wasn't ideal and was still trying to get through it because, you know, it's in the back of your head a lot of times when you have an elbow pain, what it could be. And, you know, I knew what that would lead to and, you know, point in my career, like, uh, yeah, questioning a lot. And so I was just trying to get through that. And, um, my effectiveness was down. I mean, I used to be able to have really good control and I lost my control and lost a couple of ticks on the fastball and the movement wasn't there. And, you know, it felt like I was still in batting practice and just kind of tried to go as long as I could. And I was waking up in the morning, just couldn't, couldn't move my arm. I knew something was going on. And finally, um, inevitable, I knew I needed surgery. So we hear elbow discomfort or shoulder discomfort around pitchers all the time, but you know, you guys use your body in, in different ways than for lack of a better word, normal people do. So, you know, we talk about soreness, stiffness, and could you go into a little more detail about how that feels? I mean, that's the thing. You grow accustomed to knowing your body, knowing your aches and pains and knowing what's normal and what's out of the normal. And, you know, you know what you can work through and what you can't. And just the area it was hurting in wasn't a normal pain I'd ever felt before. And waking up in the morning and my arm was just locked up and I couldn't move it. And just a, it was a red flag. And I knew it was knew it was probably something more serious than I could work through. And you know, that's why everybody knows their body so well. And it was just, you know, like a train wreck. You saw it come and just, you know, not really prepared for it. So how did you hear about primary repair as an option and what convinced you to do it? Because you were not an older guy toward the end of his career. You were 27 at the time. So it wasn't like, you know, the clock was ticking necessarily the same way it would have been for someone over 30. So what uh, what exposed you to it and, and what made up your mind? I went on the DL the second time and saw the team doctor and he told me I needed Tommy John surgery and talked me through that. And so I went and got a second opinion. That's when I saw Dr. George Poletta in St. Louis, who is now their team physician. And he told me, yes, I needed something done, but he gave me the option of it was a possibility I could qualify for the primary repair surgery, which, and they can only do that surgery if the ligament is still intact, but it's torn at one of the ends of the ligament and mm -hmm. it was a game time decision. When I went into surgery, I didn't know if I was going to be getting Tommy John or primary repair, but I told him I would much rather have the primary repair because he told me the recovery time was no close to half of that of the regular Tommy John. And I was all for it because really the rehab wasn't something I was looking forward to. And you know that long and play the game so long, they'll compete and they'll be on the field and you know that much time off the field. It was just, you know, a lot of things in the question for me and so mm -hmm. i told him i'd much rather be on the field as soon as possible and came to from surgery and he told me he was able to perform the primary repair and here we are 
So there aren't that many people performing this surgery. There's Dr. Paletta, there's Dr. Dugas, who's been on this show in the past. So if you had been playing for some other team with some other surgeon, would you maybe not have even been presented with the option of doing this? Were you just lucky that you happened to be with the Cardinals and have Dr. Paletta as a resource? That's true. I mean, never thought about it like that, but you know, I thought it stuck with the first opinion out it you know probably wouldn't be on the field yet or um you know she'll be coming back from rehab but yeah i guess right place right time and just you know able to cross paths with dr paletta and worked out i mean you know i'm I'm happy where i'm at right now um, arms feeling good and i'm just excited to be able to compete again and i mean obviously this gets you back on the field sooner but it's still experimental no major league pitcher had ever come back after a surgery like that what were i imagine you had several conversations about that but how did you weigh the risk or were you just so eager to avoid that arduous tommy john rehab and get back sooner i guess it was well to me i kind of took surgery as i kind of chalked it up like my career could be you know potentially in the shambles so you know it was it was win-win either way, you know, if I made it back, great, but, you know, I really didn't, I was going to, you know, work as hard as I could to get back regardless of what I had to do, but it was just kind of something I, I didn't know if I would ever be able to get back to the level I was at, and, um, you know, so I just kept it as neutral as possible and just tried to take it a day at a time. And that, I mean, having to go through that mental exercise is not something most 27, 28 year olds have to think about. Like at any point, this routine injury could derail this entire career that I've spent my entire life building up to. So like, how scary was that looking that in the face? Oh, I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of something I've tried to prepare myself for a while because I knew baseball wasn't going to be it for me. And that's why I graduated from college and made sure I had a degree and, I just wanted to have all my ducks in a row to say just just in case because I knew it was the risk along with you know the overhead motion and it's you're not guaranteed anything and just so but uh, the last year was very hard and you know mentally I'd say you know the toughest just having to prepare myself and you know looking for backup plans and you know it's it's, it's a lot you know coming on really fast and you know just not guaranteed anything just you know trying to get healthy and it's a whirlwind so i know that derek gould wrote that your surgery was coded in mlb's injury system as tommy john surgery just because primary repair hasn't been performed often enough for it to have its own designation so were you or your agent sort of reaching out to teams and saying by the way this is not tommy john surgery i'll be ready before you think i'll be ready like the teams know that that you had this I don't think a lot of teams did. It was, like you said, it was coded as Tommy John. So most people you know, had chalked me off for this year and, you know, it was having the agents to reach out and um, we held a, a little scout day for some to come and watch. Um, I think it was middle of January and got mm-hmm. a few um, there just to you know, get off the mound and show them that, uh, you know, I was going to be coming back at some point in a couple, couple months from then. And, you know, hopefully somebody would roll the dice and take a shot and, um, Fortunately, it worked out with the Royals. And that's, I mean, not only are you going through the surgery, you're leaving the only, I mean, really the only adult job you've ever had with the Cardinals and heading into this as a free agent. So there's no, you know, how is the recovery timetable different and the support group that you have to rely on differently as you recover from surgery heading into free agency? Well, yeah, that that was a big um, adjustment too. you know, had the new surgery and then just got dropped. Um, so, you know, kind of searching in limbo there, injured and having to come back from that being, you know, in the dark and not knowing a whole lot and 
trying to find somewhere to rehab and how to get healthy again. And there was a lot going on, not having a team, not knowing anything and, you know, just being in the dark for a while and, you know, is this going to be it or hopefully somebody will take a shot and, you know, not knowing what I'm going to get or where I'm going to go. And uh, a lot of uncertainties there. And, um, you know, it, it, it wear on you, but I mean, it's, it's kind of just luckily the Royals, you know, reached out and took a shot and their medical staff they have here is top notch and have been extremely professional and helped me out in so many ways. And I'm lucky to be here. And what were the worst parts of the Tommy John rehab that you got to skip because you did primary repair? Obviously, the whole process is shorter because you're using your own ligament. It's still the same ligament. You're just reattaching it so your body doesn't have to get used to that foreign body in there. But what were the parts of the TJ rehab program that you could just either skip or compress? No, honestly, I'm not sure. Like Compared to the two, it was kind of, I just went by the plan Dr. Paletta had written up for me. And I guess it was just a timetable that the the foreign ligament didn't, the healing process was a lot quicker. And I guess I was able to get back going quicker and et cetera mm-hmm. from that. But I'm really not sure the details of the differences in the, the rehab stages. Mm-hmm. Was there, I mean, this, this whole process is just a series of hurdles. It's, you know, it's throwing, it's getting back on the mat, it's getting into game action and then finally making it back to the big leagues. What one of those hurdles, was there one of those hurdles that you were most apprehensive about, or has it just all sort of been routine? I guess it was when I had my debut with the Royals um, here at home, you know, I warmed up in the bullpen and thought I was going to be okay, but, you know, getting back on the mound out there and it was a lot more adrenaline than I'd, I'd felt, I think, ever playing the game. You know, just that uncertainty, like feeling like I had it, but, you know, just not sure if it's there and, you know, getting over that hurdle, I'd say, is the biggest step. And did that adrenaline go away after one or two pitches, or is this still like, are you still sort of white knuckling it? Um, It got better. I've, I've only had two appearances, but um, let's say the second one's a little bit more normal out there, feeling like I was. You know, I'd done this before and, you know, I was getting back to what I'd done. And I'm not going to say easier because this game definitely isn't easy, but just the feeling, the not, not as many butterflies, I'd say. And looking at the data from your first couple appearances, it looks like you're throwing just as hard, if not harder than you were last season, but not quite as hard as you were the year before that. Are you still building up strength, you think, or do you feel like you're all the way back? I would say still building up, but I feel like, you know, there's a little more in there. I haven't tapped into yet. Uh, it's not able to come out, but, uh, you know, I feel each week is, you know, I feel some muscles a little better and it's, you know, just a gradual process, but it, it's feeling pretty good, you know, a lot better than you know, I feel like myself a lot better than I was last year and trying to get through that hurt. But you know, I thought the velocity is back to what it was, not better than, last year when I was hurt. So, I mean, that's a positive and hopefully it just keep getting stronger. And are you on any sort of restrictions in terms of not pitching back-to-back days or anything like that? No, no. I'm back here trying to help this team and, you know, see what happens. How, how aware do you think your teammates are of the sort of unique situation you're in? Like, have, I imagine some of them know, most of them know you, you came from St. Louis and that you had been hurt, but, you know, have you had to explain this to, to anybody and have those conversations been? Oh, yeah. A lot of guys, uh, you know, I try to bounce off guys that have had Tommy John, like the stuff they were feeling. And, you know, a lot of it is similar, but just the timetables a little differently aligned. But most of them ask, come up and ask and, you know, 
what I had and, you know, how exactly that works. And some of them surprised how, you know, you're back throwing and stuff. And told them I had surgery in August of last year. And, you know, it's definitely cool and, you know, exciting. I'm, you know, please, please where I'm at right now. And presumably a lot of surgeons, a lot of teams, a lot of players are paying attention to you and seeing how you do. And obviously you have to look out for your own interests and, and that's probably your primary interest. But are you gratified, I guess, to be a guinea pig in a sense, or to, if you have success, you'd be able to show that this is an option for other pitchers? Oh, definitely. I, and I, you know, I'm not really sure. I know it's so much numbers based, but I feel like I'm a lot healthier or feel a lot better than I have in the past. And, you know, this has definitely worked. I'm, you know, we'll see after this year if I'm still talking about like, like this, but that's what I feel like the numbers are skewed. You know, it doesn't look very good what I've done so far, but I know it feels better than the numbers show. And, so it's going to be, you know, tough how to gauge it exactly, like, you know, if I'm not producing or whatever. But, you know, I think this has definitely worked so far to this point. All right. I want to ask pretty much the same question, but with a slightly different spin on it. In the last Eric Gould article about you, it said you and Mitch Harris were uh, sort of going over, you were going back and forth on who the surgery gets named after. So have you come any closer to solving that? You know, since you got back to the big leagues, it seems like Seth Maynard's surgery could one day be uh, as much part of the baseball lexicon as Tommy John surgery. Oh, I, I don't know about that. You know, I'm not looking for any of that. Um, you know, honestly, the doctors, you know, should take the credit because I've really done nothing but just been fortunate enough to be in the right place, right time for that to happen. But um, I'm honestly, I really nothing at all across my mind. Did they tell you anything about how likely it would be that you would be able to get this procedure? Because, of course, you didn't know when they put you to sleep. So if other fans are hearing this and thinking, when my team's pitcher gets hurt, I hope he can do what Seth Maynard did. Mets fans are thinking this. <laughs> yeah, this. probably. Do you have any sense of how common this kind of thing could be? Or do you think it will still be unusual for a, a major league pitcher to be able to qualify for this procedure? I think is I saw the Jordan Schaefer for the Cardinals just had it earlier this year too, but I think it is kind of depends on the, the where the tear is. If it's in the middle of the ligament or if the ligament's completely gone, they're not able to perform it. It just kind of I I don't know if it's a game time decision as to say, but you know when the doctor gets in there and takes a look, it's kind of on him. I'd say I just make sure that ligament's good enough to perform the primary repair. All right. Well, we're happy to see that you made it back. I hope this is the beginning of a, a trend and uh, we're glad that you could come on and talk to us. So thank you, Seth. Yeah. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. And now we'll bring in our second guest, Robert Mosley. He's a Red Sox fan from New Orleans who just set the all-time record in Beat the Streak with 51 consecutive games. And that streak was just snapped. So I guess congratulations and also condolences at the same time. And thanks for coming on, Robert. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. So I read that this was your first season playing Beat the Streak. So how did you get into this? I don't know. I saw the promotion for it. And I just, you know, tried. I mean, it was free, so why not try to win $5 million? You know? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. And did you have a, a method? What was your plan going into it? Um, At first, it was just like picking guys who I knew could hit. And, 
you know, obviously the further I got, I put more research into it. Mm-hmm. And so at what point did this stop be, oh, you know, it's cool. I've, I've gotten this right three days in a row to, did you start putting more and more research into it? Honestly, when I reached about maybe 20, <laughs> I was just going off of like matchups, you know, between pictures and, and batters, you know, I mean, I know baseball pretty well, so I guess it was just more like a hunch and, Mm-hmm. But around like maybe 20 and I started to be like, you know, to, let's try to keep it going or whatever. Mm-hmm. So. so what did you do at that point? Were you consulting other people? Were you looking at projection systems? Were you doing anything else? Oh, no. I didn't have anybody. It was just me. But um, I was just looking at like a, like the weakest pitcher, you know, of the day. Um, mm-hmm. Try to corner the like maybe two or three of the worst pitchers of the day, and then counter that with the best batters on the opposite team. Mm-hmm. You know, so obviously I wouldn't pick uh, a batter that was going against Clayton Kershaw <laughs> or you know Max Scherzer. So you know, I just try to capitalize off of a pitcher that's giving up a lot of hits at the time. You know, so really it's more about the the pitcher than the batter. Ironically, you know, at what point did you start telling people that oh, you know, I'm playing this game online? and I've got a, a 20 game streak or a 30 game streak or at what point did this become special enough that you just needed to talk about it around 43 you know then I was like okay this is I'm getting pretty close now and um I knew that the record was 49 so you know I mean my family and stuff didn't know until like 40 something because you know I don't want to tell anybody I'm you know at like 30 something and then I lose so when I got to about 43, 45, then I really started to tell people, like, man, this is crazy what I'm doing. And then um, people started to pay attention. You got much higher standards than I do. I probably would have made it to about a week before I started bragging <laughs> everybody. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, uh, you know, again, I mean, I guess I didn't really understand the magnitude of what I was doing, like how serious people took it. Because, you know, I didn't really understand until I got all these calls once I reached like 49, I had like people calling me and like big people from MLB and stuff like that congratulating me and stuff. So I guess I didn't really understand what I was doing because again, this is my first year playing. <laughs> and who were your go-to batters? Who were the, the guys you selected most often? I believe they said it was uh, like Freddie Freeman, my, um, Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, mm-hmm. Francisco Lindor a few times. Mm-hmm. So I think it was Xander for the Red Sox a few times. but. I mean, I picked various batters, though. I didn't really have a, I guess, go-to. I mean, the most I picked one person was, I think it was a tie between a couple four times. Uh-huh. So, I, like I said, I really just more focused on the pitcher than the batters as far as like what made me pick a certain guy. Mm-hmm. Do you play a lot of games like this? Do you play fantasy or daily fantasy, or is this just sort of something you picked up because you thought it looked cool? Oh, yeah, no, I play DraftKings all the time, actually. As a matter of fact, I have a lineup today for baseball, so I'm pretty familiar with the fantasy aspect already. I play all the time, actually, but it's just the first time I try to beat the streak. So, How were you following your picks once you really started to get up there in numbers? Were you watching the games? Were you trying to tune in to see the at-bats of each of your players? Or? No, I follow on MLB.com, like the, the game is. Or whatever. Sometimes I caught a few. We have uh, MLB network, so sometimes the games were on. I get lucky and I catch the bats. But a lot of times I follow on MLB.com, and I have the app on my phone. So like for the beat the streak, so that was an easy way to follow too. 
Yeah, was there a point at which you got bailed out in like the ninth inning and you were like refreshing your phone? Yeah, you know, were, were there any nervy moments oh, like man, that? Oh man, it was crazy. Like I had numerous like that. There was a few times where I think I was around like close to thirty or so, where like both of my batters, I forget who they were, but they were both like oh for four or oh for three. And I was like, man, it's over. And I didn't pay attention anymore. And then I wake up the next morning and my streak's still going. So it's like crazy. But, um, you know, for 49, obviously Mike Trout hit the home run. And then the very next night to break the record, 51 Bryce Hope, you know, hits a home run in the night and then, you know, to win the game. So it was just crazy. But Mike Trout did that twice to me because when I was like around 35 or so, they were playing against the Athletics, and he was like the same thing, 0 for 4 or something like that. He comes up and hits like a 10th inning home run to win the game. So I had a lot of nail biters, man. I got lucky a few times. <laughs> so you weren't even necessarily staying up to, to see if you were going to get the hit. So were you ever confident? Like, was there ever a point where you thought, I'm going to do this? Or were you just kind of telling yourself throughout that eh, this probably isn't going to happen? So I don't want to get well, my hopes I was up. Pretty, I was pretty kind of like the more. The higher I got up, I was more and more confident, especially once I got the first place. I was like, okay, like that's what made me double down. Uh, that was my strategy, which obviously backfired. You know, I'm gonna regret that probably the rest of my life because I was only six away, and I really, I didn't really need to double down. It, just, I just felt so much pressure to go ahead and get it over with. Everybody was like going crazy about it, so because I started already again, and I'm already well, I got two yesterday. <laughs> But it just, it's like crazy, man, because I was so close. I didn't really need to do what I did. And so, yeah. Hmm. That's interesting because you'd think that one of the things that would make a hit streak hard in real life, not only just the difficulty of getting a hit every day, but then also the pressure that builds up when everyone is watching you and seeing whether you're going to get that hit. And it sounds like you experienced some of that yourself. Like it made you press in a way, the, the way that people say that players will, you know, try a little too hard and it'll get them out of their game. Maybe the same thing happened to you. Yeah, no, that's exactly what happened. Man. I felt so much pressure to like, you know, because this was never about me it was always about my family man and you know just about helping everybody I love and care about so you know I just felt the pressure to you know make this happen for everybody you know and so like I definitely feel like because you know I never picked the whole streak I had never picked Kevin Pillar or Ezekiel Carrera and before I picked those I was leaning towards Freddie Freeman and Matt Kemp and they both got hits that day so I mean and like again Freddie Freeman was you know tied for like my most picked batter like four or five so I really should have just went with what I knew instead of trying to like outthink myself you know so that's I really beat myself I feel like mm. so what was it that uh, went into your thought process about picking those two guys was it just the the pitching matchup yeah it was a pitching matchup. You know, Bartolo has been getting killed this year, and he just so happened to have his best game that day against the Blue Jays because, I mean, when I was reading, it was like he had given up like 42 hits in 38 and a half innings. Like, he's been getting killed, and then he, and he's really he did give up a lot of hits to the Blue Jays too, just not to my two guys, you know, because Smoke <laughs> and um, Devin Travis had like a few doubles. I think one hit a home run, Smoke hit a home run. Batista got ahead, so it wasn't bad to go with the Blue Jays lineup. I just picked the wrong two batters. Well, Pilar got a hit, but I definitely regret it, though, forever, man. So 
Mm. Yeah. Is there a way to get to the mental state where you're thinking, well, at least I get $10,000 if no one else beats this streak this season, which isn't likely. I mean, is there a point, do you think, where you'll just be happy that, well, I get something out of this thing that I never tried before no. and it didn't cost me anything? Or or can you think that way? No, 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 man. <laughs> I mean, you know, I understand, you know, that 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 would be some sort of a silver lining, you know, to still win 10000 But no, nah, I mean, you can't compare. Ten thousand or five point six million dollars. That's just not even. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's not even. I'm trying again, dude. I mean, like I feel. I feel like if I did it once, I could do it twice. So, you know, just be looking for me because I'm. You know, if nobody does it, I'm looking to get back up there. So, you know, I'm playing again today. Um, like I said, I started again yesterday. But um, no, nah, I don't think that winning ten thousand will ease the pain of losing out on you know five point six million mm-hmm. because uh. I definitely should have took my time at the end right there. Did it give you any appreciation for just how much randomness is involved in, in baseball? Like a good hitter just can go five for five one day, 0 for four the next day. It doesn't mean he's a different guy. It's just the ball is bounce a certain way. way yeah. and, because yeah. even the one uh, Carrera almost got on, I believe it was like the six or seven in it. And, you know, second baseman, I believe it was Peterson. I'm not sure, Jace Peterson, but... He made a hell of a play because Carrera, that it could have been a single, you know. So just like you just said, the ball bounced one way as a single, it bounced the other way, it's an out. So yes, there, it, it's definitely some luck involved, but it's still you still have your best player. So I mean, I would have faith in a guy like Bryce Harper or Mike Trout coming up to the plate, you know. So yeah, it's there is obviously some luck involved, but you still have your best players, just like any sport. And I would definitely feel comfortable, you like putting my money down on those guys, you know. Mm-hmm. Even when Joe DiMaggio had his streak, I know that people have gone back and there were some days when he had a, a favorable official scorer's decision that changed what could have been an error to a hit. It's Even if you're as good as he was, then it's really hard to, to do. So, And I guess it's even harder to do now, really. You're you're trying to do this in the worst era in baseball history right. to, to try to do this because it's uh, so many strikeouts in the game right. today. And the league average is, what, 250? or so the average batter is hitting these days so even harder yeah when I did an interview for MLB the guy was telling me that he was like that's what made my streak so amazing 51 you know in the 17 year history no one's ever gotten a 50 but he's saying the exact same thing that you know this is this year is the lowest batting average year since the DH was um yeah you know introduced so I mean, I guess that's something to be proud of, you know. I'm real proud of that, you know. Um, well, I think at Justin Ferreira, they ought to just go ahead and give you the five million dollars. But man, yeah, that's right. <laughs> man, thank you, man. They need to talk to you, man. <laughs> they need to be listening to this. But uh, yeah, yeah, definitely, man. So I mean, but it could have went the other way too, because like the night that Charles hit that home run, I had picked. Uh, Escobar too, you know Escobar, and his hit was actually an error. Uh-huh. Like I mean, they called it a hit, but if you go back and look at the replay, it was definitely it should have been an error. But they gave it. The, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to complain, <laughs> but you know, so like you said, man, one it's just sometimes you just it's better to be lucky than good. I guess you can say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, last question: Has it changed your feelings about baseball one way or another? I don't know whether baseball is one of your favorite sports or your favorite sport or what, but is it, are you more into it now than you were when this started? Oh man, I can't watch baseball like right now. Like it makes me sick to my stomach, man. Like, <laughs> you know, like I can't, you know, 
Um, nah, I mean, I I love the sport, man. I love sports in general. I'm an athlete. I've been an athlete all my life, man. And so I love baseball. I grew up playing the game, so of course I still love it. But you know, it's just like I'm sure real athletes. You know, if you lost in the Super Bowl, you're not trying to watch you know a football game the next day. So yeah. it's the same exact feeling for me. Like. Uh, don't want to see any baseball for a while, for real. But, I mean, I'm definitely trying to do it again. Mm-hmm. It would be cool to be able to get back to 50 in the same year. So that's like my goal is like, you know, to like rise from the ashes and maybe I can make it back to the top again. All know? right. Well, congrats on getting that far. It was fun to follow and uh, good luck adjusting to it being over. But thanks for coming on. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, sir. I appreciate y'all for having me. So what they need to do is to change the beat the streak thing so that it's stat cast expected hits instead of actual hits. Then we can take the randomness out of it. We could just <laughs> we could have expected average. And <laughs> I've been thinking about getting a better microphone. Uh, and if I had, then maybe the you could have heard the eye roll that I just did. <laughs> yeah, there was an implied eye roll in my okay. voice. I hope. <laughs> but, <laughs> I don't know. I never know with you. <laughs> <laughs> I play it close to the best. All right. So we will be back with a quick turnaround Monday episode. So I'll talk to you then. Mm-hmm.